0: Hello, and welcome to what to do when you're the wrong kind of black academic. I will start by introducing myself and then my partner, Dr. Lee will do the same for herself. I am Eric Smith, associate professor of rhetoric at York college of Pennsylvania. I am also a co-founder of free black thought an organization dedicated to viewpoint diversity within the black diaspora. I am also currently a visiting scholar for the Cato Institute who is putting on this event. In fact, right now, I'll say that if you have comments or questions that you want us to address during the Q&A, please write hashtag CatoEvent as you do that. So with that said, Dr. Lee, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Yes, uh, I am Tavia Lee, I go by Lee a lifelong educator, Uh, teaching is my vocation. I'm also uh, a member of free black thought, proud member of free black thought. And presently I'm working as a faculty director for the office of equity, social justice, and multicultural education at De Anza college in uh, Cupertino, California, at least until June 30th, 2023.
0: All right. I think the fact that we are both co-founders of free black thought and I am a former diversity officer uh, to your current uh, position as such. I think we have the ethos, capital E, to put on this event today. So I'll just start with the reason why I'm here, and then we can move on to uh, Dr. Lee's more current reason. I could start pretty much anywhere in the last four decades, to be honest with you. Um, But I will start with the latest event, well, not the latest, but, uh, the most salient for this purpose, event in my field, um, a prominent scholar in my field of rhetoric and composition in 2021, uh, called for a boycott of a major institution within my, uh, field called, um, the council of writing program administrators. He said, because something racist happened, he wanted us all to boycott. He was going to lovingly boycott as well. I made the egregious mistake of asking what happened. Uh, The descriptions were quite vague. Nothing seemed categorically racist. So I said, well, if you want me to boycott an entire institution, I'm going to need more than just something racist happened. This was not taken well. The institution that was being accused of racism came out with an apology that clearly was talking to a certain a particular kind of black academic, one that abided by what some would call critical pedagogy, critical social justice, or things like that. Um, and the apology wasn't really geared towards anybody else. I called this out and I was subsequently accused of trying to silence, uh, marginalized people. I have some quotes, uh, from the listserv thread here that I read every night before I go to sleep and I was accused of uh, white supremacy uh, and being complicit in ideas that marginalize people of color. So right there, I said to myself, well, I'm not the right kind of academic for this field anyway. Then I shared information about free black thought and went away. So that's where I got this idea. So what do you do when you're the wrong kind of black person, but now I'm being more specific about it talking about the wrong kind of black academic. And that's why I'm here. Dr. Lee.
1: Yes, uh, I'm here due to an adventure uh, that started uh, at De Anza College uh, about two years ago in August of 2021, uh, when I was hired on there after a rigorous uh, interview process um, that involved uh, teaching demonstrations and multiple panels uh, where I was told what their needs were uh, for this position. Uh, as a faculty director for an office of equity, multicultural social justice and multicultural education. Um, I was advised that this was a a position that was positioned as a faculty member um, and that it would involve leading an institution-wide transformation around those three topics. And uh, one of the things that was pointed out to me by the panelists was that the office that I would be potentially working in was a little too woke. And I asked them, what did they mean by that? I'm always curious about definitions when people use certain words and terms. And they told me that it was that some of the uh, people in the office were making faculty feel uncomfortable, like they couldn't come to the office as a resource. Um, They would often accuse faculty members of uh, being racist or call them out. Uh, So I actually did my teaching demonstration during the hiring process on calling in over calling out. Um, And I assured the panel that by their definition, you know, I, I definitely didn't identify as woke and that what I try to do is create spaces where people with diverse and divergent opinions can come together, share their perspectives, and then identify points of commonality to best serve students. And um, as I set out to do that work, I was hired on based on those things. Um, unfortunately, uh, the folks who supervise me, as well as the tenure review um, committee members uh, did not agree with the actual pedagogies that i was using Um, i was accused during these past two years of being a white supremacist of white speaking and white explaining uh, things i had never heard before used the way that they were being used at de anza college but as i began to attend um, workshops hosted by the the folks who were using those terms i I saw that they perpetually use this slide Uh, multiple slides some of of identifying white supremacy characteristics and it had things like being on time being objective setting agendas um you know all kinds of other characteristics uh that we don't normally think of or at least i didn't normally think of when i heard of uh, white supremacy as someone who grew up in central valley uh, specifically lodi california i'd actually seen uh neo-nazis and you know white supremacists working from a white supremacist ideology and and that's what i had always associated um, with that term so to be called that um and then to be attacked during my tenure review process um and to have my academic freedom and freedom of expression uh come under um assault um and to see the uh, tenure review process just completely subverted um, was something that I'd never experienced in my, what is it now, 40 years of, of working in the education field. I've always worked in education, and, and this is my vocation. Um, so that's my short story in a nutshell of what happened at um, DeAnza. There was a lot of things that took place or, along this road um, that really helped me to identify uh, that we were working potentially from different um perspectives of critical social justice and classical social justice.
0: Okay. So would you say the right kind of black academic is one who abides by the critical social
1: justice? Um, I, my tenure review committee members would definitely say that. And I say this Eric, because, um, they actually wrote comments in my evaluations about, uh, things I should and should not talk about. Uh, for example, I was told that, um, I should never speak of controversial topics. And, and as someone that works in DEI field, Dr. Smith, I mean, we know we have to touch on controversial topics, um, in, yeah. in that, field, uh, just to engage people. I mean, uh, something's going to upset right. someone if you're dealing with DEI.
0: <laughs> right. That's like trying to take a swim and not getting wet. Yes. It, it can't happen.
1: <laughs> yes, right, yes. Sorry, so those I interrupted were- you. Oh, no, no, not at all. That, that, that was the kind of feedback that I was receiving, you know, and, and trying to process that and make that something actionable, yet at the same time lead an institution wide transformation without ever touching a point of controversy. Uh, that was quite interesting. And, but that was what I was expected to do. Um, some of my mentors even told me in a loving way, you know, they weren't being mean. They said, you know, they wanted a black person in this position, but you are the wrong kind of black person. And they weren't expecting you. And I I asked them, what do you mean by that? They said, well, what they wanted was someone who just would have the narrative that matches what they're trying to push about black people. Um, Someone that focused on their oppression. um, Someone that focused on that they are a victim um, and um, and that they're struggling against systemic racism and all of these things. And, and, and I just had a lot of questions about those topics and, and things. So I, I wasn't that person, you know, if that's what I was expected to be. Um, and all of the attacks on me were purely around ideology. Um, you know, even I was told that I uh, offended some of my committee members when I would do comparison of Ibram Kendi's work uh, with other authors and, and other organizations that offer a differing approach.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are definitely sacred texts in this grand narrative, aren't there? I think the grand narrative is is reflective of a a racial group consciousness, right? As opposed to me who uh, embraces more of an individual liberty uh, methodology of going through life. If you are a part of this race group consciousness, then you you, you tend to think your in-group is perfect and right, and the out-group is always wrong. Right. Um, and the outgroup is, uh, hogging resources, right. Uh, hoarding power. Uh, they say a lot, uh, the out group is also somebody who is privileged, right. As opposed to us who, you know, we're downtrodden, right. Um, this narrative is kind of the driving force of all of this. And if you're not abiding by that narrative in some way, then you're well, not being a black academic correctly. Right. So that's, that's what I've noticed there. And I. I often wonder you know if a lot of this comes from my appreciation and embrace of individualism you know as a classical liberal value Uh, obviously i know that we are ultimately interdependent right we all need each other right i didn't make my shirt i didn't make the chair i'm sitting on right now right um but we are able to choose where we're going to be interdependent with other people right uh, we can choose the belief systems we, we want to abide by. Uh, we can choose our occupations and, and things like that. I'm wondering though, if that appreciation for individuality is the most salient aspect of being black incorrectly, you know, to people abiding by critical social justice, I don't know.
1: Yes, I would add to that, um, that there's definitely a difference in what is focused on, depending on what approach you're using. So that critical social justice approach is one that's definitely em- emphasizing uh, oppression and tribalistic identity. Uh, those are at the forefront and the focus of all things. Um, a more classical, I call it a classical social justice approach, uh, which was the one that I had used when I was an adjunct teacher you know, in multiple spaces. Uh, with institutions that have long histories of working in the social justice sphere. Um, in that approach, there's more of this focus on freedom uh, of individuality, um, things like agency and free will. Uh, all of those things are absent in a critical social justice approach. Um, they're actually shunned. Uh, you should be working with your tribe and your tribalistic identity. You're assigned a category or you assign one to yourself. Uh, You stick strictly in those, um, and the theory tells you, you know, um, what you can and can't do in your life, um, what possibilities you have uh, in life. And and it saddens me to see this um, being pushed through our K through 12 systems, as well as our higher ed systems, where we're actually taking those ideas directly to, you know, young students. Um, who are, you know, just learning who they are in the K through 12 system. And we're telling them you're a victim or you're an oppressor, you know, um, and you will always be this way. um, because that's what critical social justice uh, teaches us. And I, and I think that us starting to name that ideology and and let people know that there is other approaches like the classical approach, um, that are available. Uh, and that we need to start looking at instead of just uh, assuming that this default perspective, which has kind of been rammed through in so many sectors, not just education, um, I think that's critical for us to start naming it and, and to have uh, people start identifying. Because I promise you, if if the job description had said, you know, you must work from a critical social justice perspective, and you will not, you know, speak of any other perspectives. I I definitely uh, would not have applied for that because I would know that's not a space for me because I don't have fidelity to any ideology, frankly. Okay.
0: What you describe, uh, you know, individuality, uh, liberty, reason, all those things, Um, there's a word for that that circulates through my field. It's called acting whitely. Not white, Mm -hmm. but these these are whitely concepts, right? And basically what they mean are, uh, you know, these aspects of uh, white culture, like um, hard work and delayed gratification and the concept of cause and effect, those things are, and and those things and, you know, uh, abiding by them and valuing them makes you a whitely person. Uh, To statements like this, I always ask the same question. What's blackly, you know, define blackly for me, you know, and and some, uh, You know, uh, it it, it tends to be a, uh, a white woman who is talking to me about this. And one white woman said, well, if you read my stuff, you would know what I mean by all of this. And I was like, not only did I read your stuff, I dedicated half a chapter to explaining why it's wrong. I know your stuff. I still don't understand what you're talking about and why you can't define blackly. The fact that they can't speaks volumes to me, right? Um, it, it, it speaks to this idea that the goal isn't really so much education as it is something more grand, social transformation. Right. That's, that's what I tend to see throughout all this stuff. And that's the only thing that makes it make sense. I'm done ranting. Yeah.
1: Well, social transformation. Um, and what I see in it is a, a negative social transformation because I constantly heard at least in, in, at uh, you know, in the California Community College system, not just one institution, but multiple institutions, I've heard uh, this focus on dismantling, we need to dismantle, we need to take it down, we need to, you know, make something new. Um, But when I would just kind of press, you know, what happens after the dismantling? What's the end game? No one could ever describe that to me. Um, and to me, that's very dangerous to want to destroy and dismantle things, but not have a plan for what comes next. Um, and I think that that's something that, um, is so crucial for people to start interrogating and asking questions about when people are bringing in, uh, these concepts of equity, you know, what do they really mean? Um, if, if we're talking about social justice, what perspective are we working from and what is the end game? Uh, because from critical social justice perspective, the end game is equality of outcomes. And just really let that sink in uh, from every sector in every meaning of the word, meaning there's equality of outcomes. Everyone has the same outcome. What does that mean for a democratic society? Uh, what does that mean for education and differentiation of instruction like we like to talk about in K through 12 and personalizing learning? Um, when everyone has the same. Um, and what happens to classical social justice outcomes or, or, or things that, you know, the end game for that would be more of equality of opportunity. Um, that's something that shunned. And even when I worked at DeAnza with trying to define what we mean when we say these words and terms. Um, I was saying that to me, when we talk about equity, we have to have equality, because they're intertwined. Um, They're they're co conditions I I even put forth. And I was told absolutely not. Um, I was told that equality is a thing of the past. Uh, We're not focused on that anymore. Don't mention it. Uh, What we're focused on is equity. And then I would say, well, then tell me what is equity. And I would just be shown pictures of you know, graphics of, of people standing on boxes and, and, and explanations like we're gonna level the playing field. Okay, how do we do that? Then I was shown pictures of um, apples falling from a tree. And, and this was in one particular workshop and the person said equity means everybody gets some of the apples. And I was like, okay, how does that translate into pedagogy and curriculum and what we do in the classroom? Uh, and, and I would never get an answer. And in fact, I was shunned. I was deemed a pariah for even just asking those kinds of questions.
0: Yes, and that sounds all too familiar. Again, I've told you this before. I'll say it again. I'm very sorry all that happened to you, uh, quite recently. Uh, but it all seems to be a symptom of critical theory, a, 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 an overarching theory from which a lot of this stuff derives. The point of critical theory is to disrupt where critical thinking wants to, you know, find a solution to every problem. Critical theory wants to find a problem to every solution. Um, because the idea is that the status quo is unacceptable and it must go. My issue with that is that that seems antithetical to what education is supposed to be education among other things, but mainly it's supposed to help students figure out how to negotiate and have agency in this world, right? Um, navigate their way through this world, negotiate meetings, uh, converse. Um, you know, uh, civil dialogue and things like that aspects of classical liberalism. The problem is if you successfully teach a student to do all those things, you are indirectly maintaining the status quo, the status quo you want to change. So there's an inherent contradiction there um, that causes a lot of uh, confusion, a lot of uh, hypocrisy really, and a lot of subterfuge. You know, there are a lot of people, there are some people in my field uh, and they're being more blatant about what they're doing uh, lately who are basically saying they're doing this to, you know, change society. Yeah, it it says in the books that it's a composition class, but we're really you know, trying to change society and we're doing it through composition. Not everybody has that goal. Um, I'm not entirely sure everybody should, especially in general education classes, uh, but that seems to be what's going on. And to bring it back to the theme for today that apparently makes you the right kind of black person hmm. to which yeah to which yes. i say i'm proud to be the wrong kind of black person
1: <laughs> yes yes there's a definite uh framing that's taking place um you know to be accepted in academic spaces uh, as a black person you're definitely uh, going to need to toe that line um um uh, of um focusing on uh, the elements of the theory, critical uh, social justice theory, um, in particular in, in so many spaces. And uh, if you question that at all, um, if you just encourage other people to think critically about it, or, or even say that there's other ways or other lenses to look at this through, uh, that could become problematic. It does become problematic. Um, and you know your livelihood could become uh, at risk. And what's so unfortunate about that um, is that black people and academics are being brought into spaces, you know, under, under folks who say, you know, we want to have greater representation. Um, that's our work that we're doing towards equity. Uh, and then they're, they're put in these positions where um, if you're not saying what they expected you to say and what you should say according to, you know, their theory and their theoretical approach, then you're immediately silenced. Um, you're immediately shunned. Uh, you're, you're called m- names like white supremacists and Oreo and you know all these other kinds of terrible names. Um, and it, it's like, because of the way, and, and I, I just wanted to mention something too. Uh, I'm sorry, this is kind of a stream of thought. Um, under that theory, people of color, which is a problematic term in and of itself, cannot be racist because supposedly they don't have access to power and privilege and i will just tell you some of the main harassers and bulliers at in my situation were people of color and they felt so self-righteous to do the racist things that they did um because they according to their theory they couldn't be racist because they don't have power and privilege when in that setting in that context They had all the power and privilege, and they couldn't step back to see themselves enough to see the harmful and racist things that they were doing and saying because their theory exonerated them. Uh, They they couldn't possibly be that. Uh, They're just doing the work and and canceling out somebody who they thought wasn't doing the work. And so that's that's something that I just wanna raise a point about. Uh, It's a worldview where everything is inverted. Uh, Everything is subverted. And that's problematic for so many people, not just Black people, but all people.
0: And you speak to the one of the what I think are uh, one of the main goals of uh, critical social justice, um, otherwise known as woke. Okay, I just said it, and I'll <laughs> stop saying it for the rest of the of the um, of the event. The, the one of the main goals is disruption, is destabilization, and one way to do that is to well confuse people. Now let's talk about this idea, uh, about black people, uh, having some inability to be racist, right? If you really want to teach society, what you mean by that, you don't take a word that, you know, they already have a solid definition for change the definition and then get mad at them for getting it wrong. That sounds like you're trying to confuse people if you want it to be clear you would use i don't know adjectives i don't know uh hegemonic racism versus counter hegemonic racism or uh mainstream racism versus uh marginalized racism or or whatever whatever adjective you want to use you would use an adjective to be as clear as possible because you want the people to understand what you're talking about the fact that they did none of those things proves to me that the point is destabilization the point is uh, we yep. want to confuse the crap out of you because then you're easier to topple that way. And I, I think that's pretty clear.
1: Yes, I concur 100%, you know, um, uh, there's a lot of strategies being used, you know, where, where familiar words and terms, you know, um, when I hear anti-racist, you know, I, I, I go, oh yes, you know, of course I, I'm, I, I'm anti-racist. Right. Um, uh, but it means something so different. Uh, to the people that are using it in a critical social justice framework, um, it, it completely disregards the history of anti-racist work. You know that took place in what John McWhorter would call the first and second waves. Um, this is something new, and it means something completely different. Um, and so uh, that's why when I meet with people and I talk to people, I, I'm always trying to hear. You know. What do you mean exactly when you say that term or that word, because that'll help me to better understand what we're actually talking about here. And so we can create some meaning between each other. Um, But what I often find is that there's a reticence, not just reticence, uh, um, an absolute resistance to defining clearly, um, to being transparent about what is really meant, Um, and, uh, and, and that's something that I think is part of a strategy. It is to confound and confuse, and to introduce uh, and, and to uh, de- destabilize, um, and 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 that is the primary goal. Um, it's not about creating meaning or pathways forward or anything of that nature. Um, it's just about creating and inverting uh, everything that is that that was known before, uh, with no with no plan forward um, for what happens after that inversion takes place. From what I can yeah. see.
0: Yes, and well, likewise, from what I can see as well. I just want to remind people that if you want to ask questions on the various uh, social media platforms, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, uh, I believe. Please use hashtag CatoEvent, um, and we'll get your questions in and try our best to answer them. Um, and that'll happen in you know uh, a few minutes. But I, I do want to bring up a topic that I I want to talk about, and I want people to you know really embrace as they're listening and perhaps go out into their lives and think about um let's talk about the white people who call us white supremacists can we can we talk about that for a second because that really does my doilies and i'm trying to be as nice as possible uh with a term like that right but um what is going on there there's, there's a lot of virtue signaling going on i call it virtue racism I'm going to call you a white supremacist so that the real Black people know I'm down, right? <laughs> um, and obviously, it's also a, a power grab, social transformation and and things like that. But when a white person tells me I'm not being Black correctly, right? In some way, shape or form, they may not use those exact words, but that's what they're saying. It blows my mind. And the fact that Nobody else in, in 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 my life, anyway, seems to be you know stepping up and saying that's weird. You know, um, is the scariest thing, right? Um, there was a time when if a white person said that a black person wasn't being black correctly, the white person would call that black person uppity, right? Uppity meant that you were speaking a dialect that deemed standard. Uppity meant that you know you um. We're fine with uh, thinking syllogistically, uh, you know, reason and, and, and rationality. That was called an uppity negro. That same thing's happening now, and other black people are applauding when it happens. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's something that, you know, turns me red, which is hard with my complexion. You know, that that's how upset I get about these kind of things. But uh, I don't think it's talked about enough. What do you think? <laughs>
1: I don't think that's talked about enough in uh, the same way uh, I would say white and brown people um, calling uh, black people, uh, telling them that they're not black enough uh, or that they're white supremacists. I'm saying that because at my in my experience at De Anza, the primary folks who were doing that were brown and white people. Um, and so um, and that's deeply problematic. Um, and 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 for others, like you mentioned, to kind of stand aside uh, and allow that to happen uh, is is also something that's just heartbreaking. Um, I don't think that we should be using those kinds of words or terms or racialized you know um, slurs towards people of, of of any background. And so um, that's just where I'm I'm coming from. I, I'm looking at um, not how someone is racialized, you know, when I'm when I'm hearing their ideas or hearing what they have to say. I'm thinking of the content of the idea, the content of the structure of the argument, you know, I'm thinking of the things that I was taught when I was a student at a California community college, um, I was an early dual enrollment student and it helped shape who I am as a scholar. And I learned that, you know, you look at what someone is saying, the content of it, you look at the structure of their argument, Um, you try to avoid logical fallacies, you know, all of these things that you learn when you have a critical thinking based uh, education. Um, And that's supposed to be part of the mission of California community colleges and and other, you know, um, places of higher learning as well. Um, So to have black and brown, um, and, and I'm sorry, brown and white people, you know, uh, labeling black people white supremacists uh, are telling them they're white speaking and white explaining. It's, it's 100% inappropriate. Uh, it shouldn't be happening to anyone. And frankly, it's racist um, and, and, and it needs to stop um, because it's founded and rooted in, um, you know, the uh, work and background, uh, uh, Timma Okun and, and Jones, um that is just uh not rooted in any research um it's not rooted in any objective reality it's re- it's rooted in a fantasy that some folks have tried to create and want everyone else to live in and abide by uh, a caste system if you will that they want everyone to subscribe to and to not question and to stay in your lane uh, if you will um and that's a big problem uh, because some of the pedagogical practices that are being enacted as a result of this Um, some of the organizational practices like these racialized affinity groups, uh, they're so problematic. We're putting people again in boxes We're we're dividing them from each other. Um, we're telling people that you need to talk to your tribe first and and a representative from your tribe will come back to the whole council and, you know, speak to all of us. That's ridiculous. It shouldn't be happening in any academic space or any civic organization space, but it is unfortunately, because many of the consultants that are being brought in, brought in uh, are working from this critical social justice perspective without fully disclosing it when they're hired on. Uh, and, and, and sometimes I say like, maybe they don't know, um, but the more I've thought about this, I, I just think it can't be something that you're unwittingly doing you know, without knowing. Um, there's a clear difference between a classical and critical approach. And so uh, more and more, I'm starting to think that there's an intentionality there. Um, before I was kind of like, well, maybe, maybe they just don't know, or they didn't have words to name it. Um, but I've just heard from so many people, what's happening in so many places nationwide, uh, that I'm starting to say, hmm, maybe it's, maybe it's very intentional.
0: Shut down conversation or, or, uh, discourage naysayers from naysaying. The whole idea of positionality comes into mind right now. And I'm reminded again of another thread in this infamous, notorious uh, listserv that I often talk about. Uh, I I believe the thread was called ethos and ad hominem. Um, And what it was about, um, if somebody isn't deemed credible, you know, um, is telling them that their positionality doesn't matter. Is that like an ad hominem fallacy? Right. Uh sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But what I got from that thread was that, you know, if you don't have the proper positionality, the conversation's over. Right? That could be a conversation starter. Here's why I think you shouldn't be talking about this in this way. What do you think about what I just said? You know, conversation, right? Uh critical inquiry in in, in, in academic discourse, right? Um, or In a civil discourse, you know, forget about academia. I mean, this is a societal uh, good idea. Uh, Don't shut down the conversation. Talk to this other person. The fact that they, the fact that people who abide by uh, critical social justice theory and pedagogy refuse to do that is because, A, they don't want to dignify the other side with a response. And, B, if they start talking about these things, that's going to do more to maintain the status quo and less to disrupt it you You need reason and rationality to have a conversation, and reason and rationality are used to build things, right? If you want to tear things down, that's those are the last things you need. You don't have a conversation. you want to use blunt force, right? So this idea of positionality uh, being a uh, conversation stopper is just that. The point is to have be, you know be a conversation stopper. It's like when people say, "Well, you need to read all these books." You know, before we can have this conversation. So I have to go uh, and for three years, read all the books you just listed, find you, and then we can have this conversation then. That's the dumbest thing ever. I'll be happy to talk to people. In fact, if they haven't read the proper books, that's my chance to say, hey, let me tell you about these books. You know, I like those conversations. Those are That's why I got into academia, those kinds of conversations. And now they're called white supremacists. Yeah, I have a problem with that. And let me remind people that once again, um, if you are questioning or commenting, hashtag Cato events. Okay, were you gonna say something Dr. Lee?
1: Yes, yes. Um, I was just, as you mentioned the the point about positionality, um, I think that's so key because it's tied to how they understand knowledge under the uh, critical social justice perspective. Um, They really believe that knowledge is relative It's based on lived experience is a term that you'll hear quite often. Um, and, uh, again, if you're, if you're speaking from a lived experience that doesn't match the narrative that they need to put forth about black people, um, then that becomes an issue and you need to, you know, be quiet and not speak and let the oppressed, um, victimized black person speak because that's who we need to hear about from a critical social justice perspective. Um, from a classical social justice perspective, we would be able to hear from all the different wide variety of Black perspectives, um, and they will be welcomed into the space, but not with critical social justice. Um, you, you'll be told that you, you don't have the you know, proper positionality or lived experience. You know, we don't want to hear from you. We need to hear from the victimized person, um, because that helps us to keep that dialect of victim and oppressor um, going uh, that we need for this to all work for everyone. Um, and I, I just think that that's something that's that's that people need to understand um, when we start to talk about you know this identity based focus on all things, um, instead of you know knowledge as being something that's objective, um, uh, humans having free will and agency, um, it's a it's a different worldview and it colors <laughs> everything that takes place in a space, if you will. Um, Because, unfortunately, I haven't heard of any critical social justice proponents. uh, uh, Sorry, not critical, but classical social justice proponents shutting down people and and telling them that they can't be heard. But I have heard a lot and I've experienced a lot of critical social justice proponents uh, shutting down people and telling them they're not the right position. It's not the right narrative. This is not the lived experience we want to hear about because it doesn't match with what we need it to match with. Um, so that's just something that I wanted to add to that on that, on that point of positionality. I was even told, um, in the tenure review process to watch who you cite. They, They pulled me aside. Watch who you cite, Lee. I looked at your slides. Um, I looked at who you were citing and you're citing a lot of European white people, uh, and scholars, um, you're citing, you know, this person and that person. And, and what I told the person who gave me that feedback to watch who I cite, Um, I said, you know, I'm a scholar and I read across the spectrum and anything that influences my work, I put it in my references so other learners and researchers and scholars can pick those sources up, too. I will never uh, be someone who watches who I cite or who doesn't cite someone who I've learned something from. Um, and we're irrespective of what their racialization is. We shouldn't be working that way in academia, uh, where we're going to say I'm only going to look at certain groups of scholars, you know, and they have to be racialized this way and positioned this way on the intersectionality uh, um, wheel of domination, you know, uh, and oppression. No, that's not how knowledge is produced and generated. Um, that's how you maintain the status quo that some people are. Uh, desperately trying to build up and make the norm. And, and some of us are just simply saying, no, uh, we, we don't want a world that works that way. We don't wanna live in a society that works that way. Um, and, and what you're actually proposing is anti-democratic and it goes against everything that this nation's founded upon. And so, you know, no. <laughs> All
0: right. And and that's, I mean, in my field, uh, it's called citational justice, right? Uh, a subcategory of uh, linguistic justice, uh, things like that. And and it rubs me wrong because, as you just said, we are scholars. I'm going to cite the research that best supports my ideas, right? Uh, I'm going to cite the research that doesn't support my ideas and, you know, have some, you know, uh, counter argument go on with that. Yes, I'm going to cite what I need to cite. I'm not going to cite because we need more black people in the work cited page, right? That is a different mission. And that's what I'm talking about when I, I say, uh, you know, this clashes with, you know, the mission of most colleges, right? That's a different mission. You're not writing to, you know, extend the conversation, right? You're not writing for the constitution of knowledge, as John Rauch would say, right? You're writing as activism. You know, you're writing to say, okay, we're going to flood this uh, bibliography with Black people for social justice, not for the search for truth. You can do both. But let me just say it this way. If anybody out there has ever cited me because they needed a Black guy, I want you to retract that essay. I want you to retract that chapter. I want you to write a second edition of the book where you take me out. All right? I don't like that. In fact, I think, in general, and I, I am going to speak for you as well, Doctor Lee. Um, when I say this, I am too good for critical social justice. It's disempowering. It it's 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 pure negative emotionality. Uh, I like my life too much to abide by critical social justice. Life is too short to abide by critical social justice. And there are various ways to go about fixing the ills of society right um what i can agree on sometimes with critical social justice activists and theorists is that there is a particular problem and that problem may have a lot to do with race we differ substantially on how to solve that problem right and i i believe that critical social justice let me rephrase that i believe that classical liberalism is social justice if you do it right, right? The problem with merit isn't merit. It's that people weren't abiding by it. They're, they're hiring their nephews and stuff like that. You know what I mean? We have to fix our abidance to these things. We don't have to get rid of these things, right? Individuality is not atomistic individuality. It doesn't mean you know every person is an island, right? It just means you have free choice to associate with whoever whomever you want to associate with. That's all it really means. Reason, dialogue, deliberative, democracy, spontaneous order in civil society. If these things are done correctly, that is social justice. And yes, we do have a lot of uh issues with class and and you know uh, you know schools that need a lot of help, right? Um I think um as far as housing and residential issues are concerned, there's a lot of problems. There are a lot of problems there still that we need to uh address. I'm not saying everything's perfect. I'm saying their way of going about it is not my way of going about it because what I want to do is reform and they want to tear down. And on that happy note, (laughs) maybe we should uh, start the Q&A here. Now we have a lot of questions so far. So I want to make sure I do this correctly. So see here. Anonymous, from a platform I don't recognize, says, why should the color of any human have precedence over their self or being? Or are we only able to keep racism alive by the constant media dribble and hammering thereof? It is a small percentage of humanity of all races that are racist, should we not be the change? Well, my first response to that is, you know, uh, there are two kinds of racism at play here. Um, the interpersonal racism and what's called systemic or institutional racism, right? Um, and the systemic or institutional racism is something that is harder to deal with because it's built into certain institutions, apparently, right? Um, it's systemic, it's throughout society, right? That's why one of the primary tenets of critical social justice is the question isn't, um did racism happen the question is how did racism manifest in this situation right because systemic racism has racism systemically incorporated into the world so that's uh kind of that's that's more of the racism that they're talking about but um i think the question is getting at the fact that we harp on race so much that it's at the forefront of our minds and not in good ways and um this is a result of media coverage be it the traditional media or social media and um, I think the questioner has a point um, uh, to suggest that we may be harping on this a little too much. What do you think?
1: Uh, yeah, I think it's it's definitely something that's driven not only by media, but by scholars um, in, in institutions um, and, and the perspectives that they're working from. Uh, I call the critical social justice uh, theory, it, I, it falls under what I call a neo-reconstructionist ideology. Um, and what I mean by that is is the way that racism is defined as baked in, systemic, ever present. We cannot escape it. We can never overcome it. That is a neo-reconstructionist perspective. There are other ways of viewing the topic, um, including skeptical eliminativists. Um, and and one of the, the the pioneer scholars in that field is Dr. Sheena Mason, um, and she puts forth the argument, um, that, you know, racism is not everywhere. It is not ever present. It is not, um, it is not, um, something that is baked into society that we cannot escape or overcome. Um, and she even argues that, you know, part of the problem is this incessant focus on race as something real. Um, she questions whether it's even real as a construct. Uh, she would say that it's not real um, and that we need to eliminate it from our discourse, from our um, media, from our interactions with one another. Uh, she argues that what we really need to focus in on is racism and that interpersonal racism uh, that takes place and that holds people down and back, um, and that it is something that can be overcome with education. Um, with um, with um, uh, pr- approaches that focus and center love and inclusion. And I mean that in authentic ways, not in, in the way that a critical social justice proponent would use that. Um, so that's something that I think just uh, creating awareness that there are other ways of seeing it because right now we have a default, Dr. Smith, um, all the, um, the consultants that are out in so many fields, is a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, they're working from a clear neo-reconstructionist perspective, I would say 99 out of 100 times. And then you have like the 1% uh, who are taking approaches that are different, uh, like the Chloe Valderis, like the uh, Carlos Hoyts, like the Sheena Masons, uh, people of that uh, who, who aren't in the mainstream. Uh, who we're seeking to elevate because they're showing other pathways and other tools and other resources and ways to do this work. And that, that's why every time I speak, I try to elevate, you know, that there are these other approaches. They are emergent um, and, and they have good tools and resources to use in the educational setting, the civic setting, um, and, and, and just in, uh, even in the corporate setting where we're starting to see this too. So that's just something I, I wanted to point out there. Uh, it's a, a different understanding of race, racism, racial equity, and all of those things that go along with those topics.
0: Yes, the people who are supposed to be getting rid of this are the ones perpetuating it. Um, I don't think that's always a result of simple, simply being misguided. Um, I like to look at this whole situation teleologically. What I mean by what is the end goal? I think the telos, the end goal needs to be sacrificial. What I mean by that is you know, if you are a diversity officer, you know, um, or if you're somebody who's trying to, you know, create racial justice on your campus and in your corporation, your goal is inherently to make your job obsolete at some point in the future, right? That's the point. The point is, I mean, I want free Black thought to just say free thought one day, right? I mean, I don't, I don't, I do because that will mean that we don't have to convince people that there's viewpoint diversity within Black America. We don't all think alike, you know. We'll be past that, and therefore we would need something like that. We change our mission. We won't go away. I'm not crazy, right? Uh, we change our mission to something in line with classical uh, liberal values or something like that. I'm speaking for the whole uh, group right now. I'm sure they're uh, happy about that. Um, but that's that's what I see here. If you're not doing that. If your job isn't to work yourself out of a job as soon as possible, you're part of the problem. You know, that's the definition of a grifter right there. When that word's used, that's the definition. If you're creating grad programs where you can get a master's degree in critical social justice, you don't want racism to go away. Right, then the resources, the time it went into creating that program, all for naught. You don't want it to go away. Kendi suggested a a branch of government or something, a department of anti-racism. You know how hard it is to get rid of a department of anything? Clearly, he does not want racism to go away. The very people charged with getting rid of racism are the ones who want it the most. That seems to be happening right now. I I think we need to start talking about that more, a lot more. Okay, next question. Let's see if I can figure this out. Uh, Let's see here. Anonymous, again, from either Twitter or Facebook or YouTube, says, I agree with your description of this serious cultural problem how best to reverse this catastrophic indoctrination of american students of all backgrounds at all levels resulting in degradation of used to be world class education system both arts and sciences is reversal even possible so let me summarize all that can we uh you know send the pendulum back the other way and hopefully stop somewhere in the middle or is it too late hmm. i don't know
1: now, part I've part of I, my work
0: it is, yeah, what were you saying?
1: Oh, I was, was going to say part of my work is, is, um, around raising awareness, um, that there are these different race ideologies at work and at play. Um, and the, and, and the response that I've received from students and equity practitioners is that this is work that needs to be done more broadly, uh, because there isn't a, a naming of what's taking place. There isn't an awareness uh, of the philosophies, or I call them ideologies that are at work. Um, and mm-hmm. once students and practitioners become aware of that, uh, for students, it's very empowering. Um, I did a, a workshop with um, psychology students, they were uh, working, There it was a practicum, um, and they had gone through multiple years of graduate school, they're working on their um, and. At first there was a lot of resistance. Like, why are we talking about race? Like I've heard it so much. And that was actually said at the beginning of the workshop, um, by the end, when I got through unpacking, you know, that there's these, I, I used four, um, you know, race ideologies. Uh, the person said, you know what? I just realized why I have such a resistance to talking about race is because literally my whole program that I've been in for four plus years now has been working from this neo-reconstructionist perspective. And every time I come to a workshop or, you know, I, I, I uh, engage with something I'm told as this person racialized themselves as white, as a white person, that I'm bad, that I'm negative, that I have a history of oppressing people. Um, and, and that I need to reckon with myself. And they said, thank you for not using that kind of approach and helping me to see what approach was in use because that's gonna help me to better interact with my clients and to better understand ways forward that don't utilize those kind of toxic ideologies. So again, it's that default that we're hearing. Um, uh, Over and over again, there's a default perspective. It's being pushed through teacher education programs. It's being pushed through schools and colleges and universities and civic organizations. And we need to call out the default and name it and say there are other ways to do it just saying that makes you a danger (laughs) as a black academic that's why i was called a pariah and told that i was deeply offensive and um you know that i shouldn't do such things i was told i'm I'm leading people to danger by getting them to think critically and and to identify you know these different uh, race ideologies so that's what needs to take place and when you have that knowledge uh, the empowerment to know, you know, when my professor's standing up there speaking about race and they're and they're framing it in this way of uh, victim and oppressors and so forth, um, then they're a neo-reconstructionist. That can help me as a student know better how to navigate that class and how to make it through um, successfully so that my grade doesn't suffer um, because this person's clearly steeped in an ideology that they're working from.
0: Yes. Um my field of uh, rhetoric and composition. It's not an easy field to pin down. Some people are doing rhetorical studies, some people are focusing just on writing, um, what have you. But there is this idea among those who I would label critical social justice, um, scholars, pedagogues, ac- activists, what, whatever you want to say, um, that you know, any request for dialogue from a hegemonic source, a, a, a source of, Power, right—the oppressor, as opposed to the oppressed, can't really be trusted. Um, Their real goal is to maintain power, right? And this goes back to critical theory. This is this is Horkheimer, it's Adorno, it's Marcuse, it's even Habermas, right? Uh, To some degree, you know, uh, words from the powers that be cannot be trusted. You can't be in this field and have that attitude towards conversation and dialogue right? So it cancels each other out. I am a big fan of this idea of having alternative spaces for for learning and things like that. I'm currently working on one for rhetoric uh, and and composition, something to get back to the basics kind of, or to talk about rhetoric in a way that is most relevant to a free, pluralistic, and civil society. That's what I think we need the most right now, and I want to make sure there is a space that focuses Wholeheartedly on that, but that's uh, that's a heavy lift, right? It's unfortunate that it has to happen, but I think it does. Um, I want to ask another question here. This comes from Teresa. I'm sorry, I, I, I'm uh, not tech savvy. I don't really know where, uh, what social platform this is from. But Teresa, thank you very much. Um, to what degree do you think critical theory promoters are true believers? How many are going along without really buying it, Maybe afraid to say otherwise? What do you think, Dr. Lee?
1: Um, I just, based on what I've seen, you know, um, in our California Community College space, um, and this is something that I'm glad I have an opportunity to say, uh, because some people hear about what happened to me at De Anza and they think like, that's a terrible place and you know, no one should be there and, and, and wow, what's happening there? The majority of people are not working from a critical social justice perspective Uh, what they do is they disengage um, from equity and diversity and inclusion and they just go to their individual classroom and they teach and they use the methods you know that that they learned uh uh, that are focused on um, a more classical approach often um and so I don't think that it's something um, that that is the majority. I think that the activists uh, who do the things they do, like the canceling, the shouting down, the violent speech um, that they engage in, um, when you're not the right Black academic, and, and when you're not saying what they wanted you to say, and when you're asking questions, Uh, and, and then you get told like, oh, you know, the question that you asked, you're attacking, you know, different groups by asking that question. You know, um, you're, you're someone who should be eliminated from any space. Uh, they see that happen and they just withdraw. And I think that the time has come, uh, for so many of us who are just decent people, um, we're not on either extreme left or right, Republican, Democrat. Like we're just people who want to teach and exist. Um, to start standing up and saying no to all of the extremes, um, you know, um, we're, we're not going to do that um, just because you shout at us or chase us down hallways or, you know, um, do all these other things that you do from your activist standpoint to, um, to shut down meaningful dialogue and opportunities for it. Uh, we don't want a world like that. We want a world where we can talk to people who are different from us. I can learn something from someone who has a different perspective, um, and so I think that that's something that we need to start asking and demanding in our spaces, um, not being afraid of of being canceled um, or of what may come. Um, having that moral courage is what I call it um, to speak up, to stand up, to ask questions, and getting that knowledge under your belt. To be able to say, you know, this sounds like this kind of perspective. What my vision is, is, you know, something else and, and, and being able to point to other ways of doing the work, if you will, um, because right now we're being told there's only one way. Um, and if you don't do it that way, you're not welcome and you're shut down. Um, and then people see that and it creates a chilling effect where you're like, oh, I don't want that to happen to me. You know, so I think that that's important for people who feel like, you know, I'm not identifying with any of this. I just want to be a decent person to start speaking up more um, and and demanding, you know, that the extremes on all the spe- sides of the spectrum uh, stop trying to dictate to everyone else, you know, what our destiny will be as, as humans.
0: Yes, that is very well said. Um, as far as. True believers and people who are silencing themselves. I mean, it's 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 an understandable phenomenon, um, especially when you're you know a grad student new to all this, not a lot of uh, power in any way. Especially when you're somebody who's got a precarious job position anyway, you don't want to rock the boat. I am here to say, uh, and I'm speaking for you again, Doctor Lee, that uh, we are here to be as loud and as consistent as possible about these things because we are aware, uh, of, of those situations. But yes, I do. I do think I do know for a fact that there are a lot of people who are going along with this, who don't believe in it, uh, at all. And, you know, there are also a lot of people who are using this as a kind of opportunistic way of, uh, of, um, bolstering their careers. Um, so those people are always there. Right? And I've been accused of that as well. So, you know, I've been accused of doing this because it bolstered my career. Um, uh, I, I remember a white person accusing me of that, you know, a, a while back. And I, I I think about it way too much. I just be driving and I think about it and I almost crash because I'm that angry, you know? Um, we should probably move on to another question before I lose it. So let's see here. Oh, Paul Cook, thank you very much. This is interesting. Obviously, you've both had a lot of time to reflect on your respective experiences and thank you for sharing them with us. You're welcome, Paul Cook. Upon reflection, would you say that you made any missteps or mistakes in your handling of these situations? What would you have done differently?
1: Can I take a shot at that one? Yeah. So um, as a teacher, um, reflecting um about my process and my craft is something that's just embedded into my being. Um, so I'm constantly reflecting, you know, after a workshop, after this event, I'll be reflecting on it. Um, and, and from that reflection, um, I would say that I, I would do nothing different. Um, uh, than, than what I did because everything that I did in, in the space at, at at De Anza college was my most authentic self. I was my authentic self at every moment. And, um, I just did things that I, um, do as a scholar. Um, I asked critical questions. I encouraged others to think critically. Um, and you know, uh, when people attacked me for that, I didn't, uh, come back at them with, you know, animus or anger or, 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 you know, the way that they were coming at me, I continued to be my authentic self and to welcome and engage all people. Um, and I'm someone who, if you have a different perspective from me. I can still work with you. We can still make amazing things happen. Um, That's the work that I'm used to doing as a DEI specialist, uh, working with and through um, adversity, um, difference of opinion. Uh, That's what this work should be uh, involved in doing. Um, And you should be able to disagree with someone and still have a, a fruitful and wonderful relationship with them where you're able to transform things for the betterment of students. Unfortunately, My critical social justice aligned colleagues do not work that same way. Um, And they literally attacked and attacked viciously, nonstop at every point. Everything I said or did was inverted um, and subverted and and mischaracterized uh, to fit in a narrative uh, that they wanted to advance. And, And the facts didn't matter. The evidence didn't matter. The impact, the positive impact that was being had didn't matter. Um, because that positive impact was not what was being stop- sought. What was being sought is dismantlement, destruction, right. uh, pointing out the problems without solutions.
0: If you take nothing else from this conversation, listeners, uh, take that. The the goal for a lot of people is destabilization. Um, when you see students shouting down, uh, presenters, uh, when you see... Uh, professors being canceled for you know doing their job right it's it's about disruption it's about destabilizing the situation because a destabilized situation is easier to topple um to continue with what you were saying uh dr lee um my mistake i think was relying too much on social media right um these conversations um, are not conducive to email threads. Uh, that's better than Twitter. But still, uh, Twitter is not conducive to these kinds of conversations. I like this. I like face-to-face. Like if people want to engage me on Twitter, I'm like, no, let's have an event like this and we can actually have a conversation. This is a lot better. Uh, so my biggest mistake, my biggest regret is trying to have these important conversations on a social media platform. It does not go well um what's more it it's harder to express to the other person that you want to have this conversation and you are not afraid to be wrong right i don't think if if somebody if i'm wrong if i lose an argument i'm better for it you know uh now i can better refine my ideas now i can correct my ideas in a sense i want The other person stayed the same, right? That's how I look at it. Maybe I'm crazy, but it works for me. These conversations need to happen. They don't need to be dumpster fires, as a lot of people like to say. They don't need to be that at all. Uh, They can be conversations with people you don't agree with, right? And they can be spirited, right? Um, But you can be spirited. You can even be a little caustic and still civil, right? In my idea, civility is allowing the other person to respond to you right um and i say this all the time if you have to insult me a few times that's fine as long as we have a conversation right insult me all you want i i want to have this conversation that's the real point that's hard to do on social media so um, that is my biggest regret let's um
1: can i um, yes. Just piggyback yes. on something you said because it triggered a, a thought for me. Um, because you mentioned humility briefly there, and I think that that's so important um, from a critical social justice perspective. What they want people to focus on is what they call cultural humility, um, and what that really means is decentering whiteness and you know viewing white people as the oppressors and and all of those things and being humble about it and being able to accept your role um, as as an, a victim or oppressor. What I really focus on in my work, which is a more classical social justice approach, is intellectual humility. And that touches on what Dr. Smith was just mentioning about. So, um, I think it's important that we realize that none of us has all of the answers or all of the solutions are the right answer or the only answer, right? Um, we're exploring things together, complex topics. And that's okay to not have all the answers. It's okay to be wrong. Uh, it's okay to make a mistake in your thinking or in your actions. Uh, you won't be canceled for it uh, as you would under a cultural humility approach. So I think we really need to shift back towards intellectual humility um, and deemphasize this, this whole construct of co- cultural humility, which frankly is toxic uh, when it's implemented under a, a neo-reconstructionist ideology. So that intellectual humility, the ability to say, you know, I don't know everything. Um, I don't have all the answers. Uh, there's some things that I that I know very well, but I could still learn more even about those. I think that that's so needed on all sides uh, of the political spectrum and the social spectrum uh, right now in so many spaces. And, and we need to do that so we can all come together um, and be able to advance a, a better world for all of us.
0: Yes, very well said. Um, I have a question from, um, Mark Stoddard on YouTube. All right. Suitcase words in mission statements at institutions are rarely unpacked. So to obscure their meaning, why is this happening and how do we promote transparency? Um, suitcase words, I, I love that. Um, the nerd version of that is ideograph. Right. Um, An ideograph is a term that has various different meanings. What everybody can agree on, however, is that they're positive, right? Freedom or justice. That's a good one. Everybody thinks justice is a good thing, but your version of justice may not be my version of justice. Your version of justice may be antithetical to my version of justice, but we think we're talking about the same thing. Um, Sometimes that's done by accident, other times it is done very purposefully, right? Because who can be Uh, upset with the concept of equity uh, or who can be upset with the concept of inclusion. That's fantastic. Inclusion means you're including everybody. What it tends to mean though, is that you can't say anything offensive about anyone. It's a microaggression kind of situation in order for people to be included. They, they need to feel safe. So you can't harm them with your words. That is, that's debilitating, right? That, that makes uh that's detrimental to um social prog- progress, uh, in my opinion. So a lot of times these suitcase words, I love that term, Mark Stoddard, I'm going to steal it. And I will cite you, I don't know what color you are, but I'm gonna say, Mark Stoddard taught me the suitcase thing, and I'm gonna use this at an ideograph because it's cooler, All right? I'm done. What are your yes, thoughts?
1: Yes you know um, I think that this is something that's important uh, that we do ask people what do they mean that we unpack the terms that are in use uh, in different spaces um, and, and, and it's unfortunate you know because in so many spaces now um, it is becoming a mandate it's mandated that you know um, a student take a class in um, critical social justice perspectives in many college spaces um, in the state of California we're adopting an ethnic studies curriculum right now and it will be mandatory for all students to graduate to take an ethnic studies class and what's being pushed in that is critical or quote liberated social justice um, and, in ethnic studies um, and it's very toxic so that's we're, we're going to mandate that people have to go through this indoctrination that's what it is frankly um and to get your diploma uh, to, to advance in your schooling, you must take these classes. So I, I just encourage people to get involved. Um, I know that you know so many people are working and they have multiple jobs and they're being pulled in multiple directions, but see what's happening in your schools. Um, take a look at what classes are being required and what new classes are being invented and legislated as required, um, and start to contact your uh, local politicians and your state representatives and, and and voice your opinions about them to your local school boards um, get involved because if that doesn't happen these things will fly through and they're flying through uh, they will become a reality for our students um, and when you've been raised up in an educational system that teaches you um, you know that you're a victim or an oppressor um, and, and all of these toxic things that go along with critical social justice ideology Um, that's gonna be hard to undo. So we have to start looking at our education system and scholars of all racializations and backgrounds need to start critically questioning and asking for greater accountability, uh, especially as things are being required to even just advance in in, in education from students.
0: Yes, and I think we have to be careful about, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to things like ethnic studies um that could be a great course it has been a great course um the way it's being taught now um you know transformational uh ethnic studies or liberated um ethnic studies or something like that um, again it abides by something more akin to critical theory and all the things i was talking about earlier apropos to all of this is another question from an anonymous person what do you believe politicians are attacking? Oh, sorry. Why do you believe politicians are attacking and trying to dissolve diversity, equity, and inclusion programs?
1: Um, I, I I would suggest that perhaps you know politicians listen to their constituents, right? And they hear from the people who are in their community, um, and and. If you hear some of the stories of what's happening in K-12, through in community college, my own story included, um, in other spaces, you start to say, hey, what's going on there? That seems very dangerous. That seems very toxic. You know, um, who's keeping an eye on this? And so you would naturally go to your political representative and, and, and bring these stories to them. So I, I believe that there's a, a an awakening of folks, um, an eye opening an awareness that's happening, um, where people are starting to hear what their child tells them when they come home from school, um, what they're being taught around race and gender and all these other topics uh, that affect all of us. Um, and, and the impact that it's having on so many students and families and communities. Um, and, and that leads to, you know, folks saying, hey, something has to change here. And, and how do they identify it? It's being identified as this DEI stuff, you know, like, where did that come from? It's everywhere all of a sudden. Um, so I think that there is a, a movement, right, to address that, to address the toxic stories that are being shared with politicians from their constituents, and just the impacts that are being seen, um, you know, from, from, from people uh, who bring those things forward um, and who are bringing them forward even more uh, excerpts from textbooks. Um, things that have been said, exercises that have been done in classrooms, uh, all of those things people are becoming more aware about. Um, And and frankly, uh, the the critical social justice perspective uses a lot of um, developmentally inappropriate um, pedagogies and tools and methods. Um, And I think people are starting to recognize that and to see it more um, and to say, I don't remember that like when I was in school, you know, uh, why is this suddenly here? Um, and, and what do we need to do to change it? And, and I think that there's some valid questions out there about what is going on and, and, and we need to do something about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with all of that. Um, and you know, and this is kind of what I did when I realized that, you know, internally, this was going to be, you know, harder than climbing Mount Kilimanjaro or something like that. I went outside. And tried to do something. I went outside of my field and tried to do something there. Um, a lot of parents, uh, a lot of teachers, they're going outside uh, and looking at these politicians who who may be able to do something uh, about these very illiberal ideas, illiberal in the classical liberal sense. Right. Um, that's the issue going on here. It's very it's very disempowering, right? It, it, it's discouraging of uh, dialogue right? And it's learned helplessness, right? It's the idea that before you even leave the house, the world's against you, you're going to have a bad day. You know, a lot of this is uh, going on there. That being said, there are politicians who I believe are using this for, uh, you know, uh, ulterior motives, right? Nefarious purposes and uh, things like that. Um, So we have to be careful about that as well. And those are the politicians who are looking at the term ethnic studies and saying they got, it has to go, not realizing that there's a good way to do ethnic studies, right? And, and there's a bad way to do it, get rid of the bad way and not everything else. Um, I, I, um, I see that happening, I hope it isn't a growing trend. Um, I have, let's see, another question here from Rob. How have your experiences changed your outlook over time? How have your views changed the last 10, 15, 20 years? My my answer to that is that they haven't at all. And that's the problem. 20 years ago, people were calling me a bleeding heart liberal. Now they're calling me a Nazi. I'm the same guy. I didn't change at all. You know, I, I'm still the left-leaning dude. I, I always have been. Uh, middle left but left right um but the world has changed academia has changed and that's why people think i am somebody i very much am not but that's just me what about you dr lee
1: um the question was how how have we changed over time was that what it was yeah Um, Yeah. you know i I think as as people as as humans as teachers and i call myself a teacher and a learner Um, You know, I'm always open to change, um, to thinking differently. I think I've become more um, accepting of diverse viewpoints because I've seen um, the rabid um, attacks that some people make uh, in more recent years against people who think differently or who they perceive to be different. Um, And I just say to myself, like, I definitely don't want to be like that. Um, so I would say that my, my capacity for compassion, for active listening, for open inquiry um, has, has grown greater than it, than it was previously um, because I'm committed to not becoming um, the hardened person that cannot hear a different you know, viewpoint or perspective that needs to only hear and listen to and consume things that are from this camp or that camp that needs to align myself, you know, with, with something, um, and, and truth be, you know, forgotten or however you want to say that, um, that's, that's something that I'm, I'm even more deeply committed to now. I think it's more important to have more people, um, that, that, that are, that are working and operating from that way and centering love and compassion because it's so easy to become jaded, to become angry, to let anger and rage consume you, um, you know, and to really just want to prove that point, I'm going to drive it home and they're going to be wrong, you know, we can get trapped into that. And it's very toxic. It's bad for our health and well being. Um, So I'm just more committed to, um, you know, learning from everyone, um, listening to people who are different from me seeking out opportunities to do that. And to create what Dr. Smith mentioned earlier, those spaces for dialogue. Uh, I think debating and discussing, those are great skills to have, but dialogue where you're creating a flow of meaning between you and another person or group of people, I think that's something that's so powerful and needed right now. And so I just seek out those opportunities more. I I change more by becoming more open um, and, and by engaging more and not pulling back as as you can sometimes when, when you see a lot of toxicity around you. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, you can for sure. Um, I think we have time for a couple more questions. Um, so I'll ask this one from anonymous. Do you have any thoughts about the term and concept people born of slavery? I think this is akin to ADOS, uh, African Descendants of Slaves. Right. The term, I believe, exists to distinguish between recent American immigrants from Africa and the descendants of involuntary immigrants. So what do you think about that distinction? I, I, I can uh, take a shot at it. That distinction came up when it was noticed that you know, immigrants from West Africa and Jamaica were doing very well, right? They were doing very well. So they did, that went against the narrative. So they had to do something else. Wait a minute, African descendants of slaves or um, people born of slavery. Right, they're different from the uh, the immigrants who are rising up, not realizing that Jamaica had slavery too, right? Not realizing that you know um, the colonization going on in West Africa wasn't pretty, right? everybody's coming from some downtrodden situation. The difference is, I don't know, positive outlook. The difference is an in empowerment, interpersonal empowerment. The difference is the belief in an internal locus of control, right? The very opposite of everything that's being taught through a critical social justice lens. They are taught empowerment where adults are being taught disempowerment and being told if you don't abide by this disempowerment, you ain't really black. That's that's what's really happening, right? So we should look at those uh, West African and Jamaican uh, students, see what they're doing, and then do it. That's my idea. How about you?
1: I just think that this is another linguistic invention um, that is, you know, focusing on the black-white narrative again. And uh, someone asked earlier about what did I mean, you know, by people of color. That's another one of those. It's lumping diverse groups of people, uh, brown and black people, into one group. And who's the other group? The white oppressor. So that's why I reject terms like people of color. People of slavery, uh, all of these terms that are being invented to keep us further divided and focus on the black-white narrative. They are inventions of neo-reconstructionist ideology, and they're important to critical social justice because it gives them something to latch on to, to, you know, um, um, seem like we're all organized against against this oppressive force, you know, that's out there to get us. Um, you know, and, and that's why we need these new labels and we need these new terms and we need these coalitions. Uh, It's ridiculous, uh, and it needs to stop, and people need to reject it full scale. When someone uses that term with me, I'm going to say, what are you talking about? What what do you mean by that? What's what's at the base of it? Oh, there's that black-white narrative again. I reject it wholesale. Everyone needs to reject it and say it's preposterous and ridiculous, and we're not going to use those terms, and we're not going to live in the way that you need us to live to keep those terms being something real or even referenced.
0: Right. Again, we're too good for that. It's all about saving God, save the narrative, right? Um, <laughs> if we have to invent Ados now, then we're going to do that. God, save the narrative. That's what's going on here. Um, I have another question from an AU student. Um, I'm not exactly sure which AU, but uh, I'll read the question What can a Gen Zer do to promote freedom of thought? individuality among all my peers without having peers call me a racist for challenging the status quo that this institution specifically promotes. AU is a segregated racially, is segregated racially. And I think the course curriculum makes students afraid of each other. These, these are the comments slash questions that get at me the most, right? Because to be quite honest with you. I don't know what to tell this student. I I, I really don't. The the ideas that pop into my head are, well, invite me to campus and I'll talk about it. Well, that can go horribly wrong as we've seen in the past few weeks, right? Um, Tell them to read uh, these kind of authors, you know, uh, compare uh, Ian Rowe, the Ibram X. Kendi, you know, read agency uh, next to uh, uh, how to be an anti-racist and compare them. No, that's also epistemic violence, right? So what do you do? And I'm sorry, AU student. I wish I had a clearer, more robust answer for you. I don't.
1: Well, I have some suggestions uh, for this student. Uh, There are many resources available to you. You are a student at that college or university, just like everyone else. And you can do things like start student clubs uh, to help identify and support uh, diverse peers. Um, You can um, align with organizations that are starting um, um, campus-based awareness and and, um, looking to elevate diverse viewpoints and to um, kind of push back against uh, these things. There are several organizations I would suggest that you check out, and I hope it's okay to mention these, Dr. Smith. Uh, but there's Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. They have local chapters. They can assist you with getting a local chapter started. There's Turning Point USA. Um, there's so many organizations that are uh, targeting colleges and universities right now to help students to have a safe space where they can engage diverse viewpoints um, and and hear from peers that are like-minded. So I would suggest starting a club if it's just you. Starting it by yourself with the resources of a larger overarching organization. Uh, Just look up and Google things like diversity viewpoint, uh, freedom of expression on college campus, campus clubs, and you can start your own local chapter. It may start with just you and one other person or just you, but others will come. Keep at it. Don't give up. Uh, It takes time to warm up a deeply entrenched environment um, and to open it up. Uh, But you being that one person who gets it started, who gets that ball rolling, uh, who connects with one of these larger organizations and starts a local chapter at your school or university, you can make a change and your institution will be better for it. So just look around, see what resonates with you. Um, and start a club. If there's no overarching large organization, start your own club. Hey, we're going to be the critical thinkers, you know, think of a name. Um, We're going to just have meetings every Tuesday, Thursday, whatever it may be, you may have low attendance at first, but stick at it, people will see it, even if they're afraid to come at first, some people will have the moral courage to start getting involved and looking around and saying, hey, I don't like what's in my class either. You know, like, oh, this is kind of weird what we do here. You know, you will get that traction. Um, You just have to be willing to invest the time and the persistence and the effort uh, to make it happen. And as a student, you have a lot of power. That institution is there for you and they are there to serve you. And that means all of you, all of us, Uh, we all belong in that space.
0: Yes, Um, thank you for being more positive than I was. Um, I, I know that civil, the concept of civil society is important here. We we get together, we create associations when we see a problem, and we work together with this uh, what's often called a superordinate goal to to um to solve it. Um, I guess my issue is you know that's it's going to be rough at first. You know the, the, the seas aren't going to be smooth. There's, 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 they're going to be rough. That's what you have to know. All right. Um, that is great advice, but you know. It, They're not going to let the club just smoothly appear on campus. You got to know that. So, uh, you got to be empowered in a real sense, not in a sense that, uh, you would get from critical social justice. Um, we have two minutes left. I'm going to take it upon myself to ask the final questions because I can. And the final question will be this Dr. Lee, do you think. We as black academics get it worse for pushing back against uh, contemporary social justice than white academics or even academics from uh, other ethnicities. Uh,
1: for me, I think that's that's something that in that depends on the context where you're working. Um, you know, for me, the way I was attacked. Um, at De Anza College. I've never seen anything like that in any setting. Um, and, and and I don't know if it's so much with having to do with my how I'm racialized or just that how I think <laughs> and, and how I want to encourage other people to think. Um, that being something that um, Black academics are not supposed to do in today's world or in that context was something that was um, deeply, it caused a lot of dissonance for me um, because I said, you know, what is, what have I, what rabbit hole have I jumped down here? You know, what is this strange universe? That's so unlike any other educational space I've ever seen. Um, You know, why am I being called a white supremacist and accused of white speaking and white explaining? And what does that mean? Um, And what does that mean of their expectations of me as a racialized black woman? Uh, what were they expecting me to be like? Um, and I, I think that that's something that, that I'll continue to grapple with and think about. Um, and, and, and it is something that I definitely, um, won't internalize because then, then, then that, then that wins, right? Um, that toxicity wins. Um, and, and, and I believe that, you know, irrespective of how you're racialized by yourself or by others, um, just being a critical thinker, a scholar, Uh, Those are things that are highly valued. Um, If you're in environments where you're being told that you're the wrong kind of Black person or the wrong kind of fill-in-the-blank person, um, the problem's not you. The problem is that environment and and those individuals who want to put you in a box and they need you to stay in that box. So just remember that uh, from this discussion, if nothing else. Um, You are not a box. You're not a checkbox. You're a human being that is a complex, Uh, individual, you have your own unique story and nobody can tell that story for you. Only you can tell it and your story matters. If it's not in alignment with the dominant narrative, that is okay. You have a space in this world and you are important.
0: I could answer but that's a great ending. You know, I, I, I want to end on that note. I'm not going to ruin this, you know, with my boring answer. So let's just uh, close this out. I want to thank all the attendees today for, uh, well, attending, um, watching. And please know that this will be, is being recorded and will be available um, throughout, through Cato K- uh, uh, social media. Um, also, we had a lot of questions, I couldn't get to all of them. So I just want to say, I I apologize for that, but I'm so appreciative that you cared enough to ask those questions. That is not lost on me. Um, We will have events like this again. Please attend and hopefully I can get to your questions. Uh, And with that said, have a wonderful day. And again, thank you.